0: 1.6. We 6. one, got a 1.7, I got one. Right,
1: Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's episode of the Dana Buckler Show. My name is Dana, and I am uh, beyond thrilled to introduce my next guest, Lieutenant Tad Gossel. Call sign blaster. Tad, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great, man. Uh, Happy to be here. I am beyond excited to have you here. This is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. Uh, For the listeners out there, can you just talk a little bit about... You know why I brought you on the show today?
0: Sure. So I, I met Dana a couple of weeks ago through mutual friends, and he wanted to have a naval aviator come talk about Maverick, somebody that actually saw the stuff. And um, you know, Maverick was actually kind of a love note to the attack guys out there. So the first movie was about fighter guys. This one really was about an attack mission. And so um, talking with Dana, he wanted me to come share my experiences. And for me, the movie was fantastic because it was an actual mission. Growing up with Top Gun, actually seeing a movie that was about what I did in the Navy, it was just fantastic to see. So happy to be here to talk about it.
1: Tad, there's tons of things I want to talk about. Let's let's start from the beginning though. Uh, you served in the Navy from 1990 to 1999. Top Gun came out in 1986. I'm just curious, you know, right off the bat, where does the the inspiration? Or the, you know, sort of, where do you get the idea that, you know, I want to join the Navy?
0: So growing up as a kid, my dad was an orthopedic surgeon. I had zero desire to go fly. I had zero desire to really be in the military. My dad was drafted in the Navy. So we grew up around the military a little bit, but it wasn't anything that was just pounded into me. You know, you're going to go to Annapolis. You're going to go do this. So. In the theme of the movies here, you and I kind of talked about this last week. So what really uh, what inspired me more than anything was uh, my family rented the, the uh, v- VCR VHS back then of the right stuff. So it came out in 1983 and it was about uh, the speed of sound, Chuck Yeager breaking the speed of sound and then the Mercury astronauts. And so what was unique for our family was my mom's boyfriend before she married my dad was in the movie the right stuff. So his name was David Clinton and was a reporter and the right stuff. So we got the movie to make fun of my mom's ex-boyfriend <laughs> and we ended up, uh, I ended up watching it, got, unbelievably inspired by it, thought at that moment, I want to be an astronaut. And so my mom and I went and typed a bunch of letters up to, one was to Annapolis, one was to the United States Air Force Academy saying, hey, can you send me some information about your school? I'd love to hear about it. And the next day I ended up getting a letter from the mailman, basically asking if I had interest in the Naval Academy based off of my SAT scores. So for me as a kid, 16-year-old kid, flipped me out. I got home from school that day. My mom's shaking with a open letter already from the United States Naval Academy saying, you know, son, we'd love you to come look at our school. And she's she comes in and says, you're not going to believe what you got today in the mail. And I'm like, how did that happen? We just sent the letter out last night. And she said, "I it's it's just your fate, Tad. And so she ended up uh, giving me the letter. I ended up getting into it. And so that point on, it was literally watching a movie on Sunday, getting a letter packet from the Naval Academy, asking from the admissions office whether I'd be interested in the school. It just kind of felt like fate and kind of uh, took off from there. So you go look at the school, right? You, you take a trip to Annapolis? Took a trip that summer to look at it okay. and, what and, and said, there's no way I'm coming here. So I was, really? I, was, I was I was there in the middle of plebe summer. I saw all these kids just going through absolute hell. And I it, the Lord's of Discipline, you know, just to throw another movie out there, had just come out had read the book from Pat Conroy, and I'm sitting there going, do I really want to subject myself to this? I don't know if I want to do this. Um, so when I first looked at it, it's a beautiful campus. I don't know if you've ever been to Annapolis, but it's just just absolutely gorgeous. It's America's finest running around, and I I wanted to be a part of it, but I was also kind of intimidated by it more than anything else. So at the time, no, I I, I literally left the academy in July of 85 saying, there's no way I want to do this. There's no way. No way. No what changed your mind? So, what ended up changing my mind was I ended up taking the route, and so for me, it, it ended up be kind of lucky as a, as a kid. I ended up applying for an ROTC scholarship as well. I got it. I got that immediately in August. So the next month, I got an ROTC scholarship. I was going to be able to go into the Navy school fully paid for, and I was able to kind of take the the load off, if you will. That it's like, okay, so if I don't if I don't go, even though I just said I don't want to go. Um, I at least have a bunch of different options. So I was going to Georgia Tech I was going to Vanderbilt had a bunch of different options uh, Other schools also were interested in me, but those were the two main schools I was looking at and so it was always in the background though Like what am I going to do if I actually get into Annapolis? And so as a senior in high school, you know, you're worried about the high school football games You're worried about who you're going out with all that stuff And so but in the back of your mind, you're also like what's the next step? What am I gonna do? so it was always in the forefront And what ended up happening with Annapolis, I didn't want to go in July and ended up getting a last minute um, appointment in May, like literally May of 86, about the time Top Gun came out in the next week. I get an appointment. And so I'm sitting there thinking about life as a 17 year old kid going, well, what do you want to do? And honestly, for me, I looked in the mirror and said, hey, you got an appointment to Annapolis. 15,000 people applied for this, 1,200 get in. It's the most selective school in the country. 50 years from now, are you going to look back and say, was that a good choice not to go? And I just knew I'd never be able to live it down if I did not go. So even though I didn't want to go, it ended up being kind of the prestige of it. I couldn't walk away from it. I want to talk a little bit about your time at Annapolis, but you said this was
1: right (laughs) around the time that that Top Gun came out. And I'll Hmm. openly admit that I was... Look, I was eight years old when that movie came out. So. I'm a little older than you. Oh uh, yeah. Just a couple <laughs> years, but not yet. Yeah, but so I'm trying to just sort of wrap my head around the, how big that movie was. I mean, I know it did massive things for <laughs> Navy recruiting. You already on on a path before that movie came out. Yeah. But can you just kind of talk a little bit about the, the impact that movie had yeah. just on, on pop culture or just recruiting the whole so thing?
0: N- number one movie in 1986 in the entire country. Right. Yeah. So it, it came out, I was going to Annapolis I go to watch it, and at the time, um, I told you I was, I was thinking about being an astronaut. I see this movie, and, and man, it blew me away. You know, it, it was just it just amazing, incredible. And for me, seeing the the knocks on the door with the academy ring and everything else, and saying, you know, Duke Mitchum's kid, you couldn't get into the academy, all that stuff, it it, it all it all played a huge part at that time. Where I'm at the inflection point: am I going to go or not to Annapolis? Because I got my appointment right then, so. Literally, Top Gun came out when I'm at a coin flip. Am I going to go or not go? So, so it, pretty pretty important. It, pretty important. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Annapolis, when you go there, how long is the school? So basically what ended up happening was, so uh, the movie came out in May. I accepted my appointment. We started July 6th time frame, and it was, they call it induction day into pleep summer. And so you go through six weeks of basically hell. And so it was, uh, you get indoctrinated, they shave your head. Uh, You get thrown in with 1,200 other kids that have no idea what they're getting into. And we we basically, they take you from the class presidents, the 95% are letter winners in, in high school. So the best and the brightest in the country. And they basically take you from being this arrogant high school kid and they break you down to the most lowest form, which is a plebe. And basically, so plebe is lower than, than well poo is, is basically okay. <laughs> the, the, the phrase. And so they break you down in the whole academy, uh, what what the what the whole strategy is to break you down then build you back up in the model that they want to build you as a naval officer. So the whole piece about that six weeks, it's um, there's been all kinds of movies, The Lords of Discipline, um, Officer and Gentleman, you kind of get a taste and feel of it. Right. And I think reading those books, I went into it probably with just an absolute panic, fear that, This is going to be am I going to be am I going to be able to prove myself was was really the big thing for me. It was it was a a huge test and a crucible, if you will, that, that you go through
1: when you first go in. You're going in to become a, a naval officer. You're going to become an officer in the navy. Have you decided at that point I want to be an aviator? You said you want at one point you want to be an astronaut. But the goal of Annapolis is just to be is to become an officer first, right? When sure. at what point do you decide what your career
0: in the navy is going to be? So your senior year, they have what they call service selection night, and so it's based on your class rank. So uh, you could be the last last guy in the class, and if there's enough billets, you could go be you could go, go be Maverick. So we had guys that were five from the bottom. Uh, John McCain's a great example that finished almost last in his class and ended up becoming a naval aviator. So it's just, it's the matter of the billets that that are out there and you go from one until the last guy, when we call him the anchor guy. And so he gets a dollar from everybody. So it's kind of a dubious honor, but you also get some dough at the end. So they get a thousand (laughs) plus bucks. And so the, the whole piece is you want to finish high enough that you get to go do what you want to do. So Navy SEALs now, you have to be uh, very high up in the class to be able to get selected, to get the selection to be a Navy SEAL, um, naval aviators. So what I did was naval flight officer, and those billets went away at about 700 out of the 1,200. So they, they were prestigious, and you had to, you know, the the class rank at Annapolis was based on your academics, your, um, your physical uh, performance, and then also your military performance. And it was hard grades, so only the top 20% got A's. The next twenty percent got B's, the rest got C's. So it it, w- it was a very very, you know, difficult thing to go through. And the and the the service selection was based on where you end up landing in the class. The, okay. And so that's where you. And so it was senior year. And so I just say. Top Gun came out in '96, and I end up meeting all these people. They're like, "Oh yeah, no, I'm going out with Fred. He's going to Annapolis next year, and he's already been accepted to, the, to flight school." And so, any ladies that are hearing that stuff, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. No. <laughs> no. Okay, I love that. Okay, uh, a flight officer. What's the definition of a flight officer? So, naval flight officer is basically somebody that's in a in a naval aircraft that doesn't that's not in control of the aircraft. So, the pilot is the one who actually has the stick. Um, you'd asked me earlier, like in the A6, for example, do you have two sticks in there? And we did not. So some of the aircraft do have two, two uh, flight controls, and it would be true co-pilots. And in my aircraft, it was I had so many different instruments and everything else. So there was no no room for an extra right. stick or anything else to control it. But
1: I'm, I'm curious because, again, a, a lot of this conversation is going to be centered around you know Top Gun Maverick and the Top sure. Gun movie. But oh, when we'll did, get to that. Right? Did you want to be a, a, a Rio
0: for an F-14 Tomcat? Uh, absolutely
1: not. No. <laughs> no. Why not?
0: Well, you do, so you don't want to be Goose. No, nobody no. wants to be Goose. Nobody. Goose dies, right? right? And so so here was the difference in in the A-6 community, the F-14 community was, and getting out into into the fleet and everything. It, it was, the movie was a, a great depiction. So the pilot, so anybody that's a fighter pilot, you want the ego, the biggest ego equivalent to Maverick or Iceman or any of those other guys. They have to have it. If they doubt themselves, you saw it in the movies, that if you doubt yourselves, you're dead. And so um, whether it's landing on the aircraft carrier, whether it's going into a 10G coffin corner or whatever it might be, you want the person that believes in themselves and think, I am the best pilot here on the planet. And um, so in the F-14 community is very pilot centric. In the A-6 community, it was the bombardier navigator was seen as an equal to the pilot because we controlled so much it was we were a strategic based platform we were the tip of the spear and in maverick we were the we were the plane that the f-18 replaced that was going to be the one that was going in to blow up the the nuclear enriched plant wherever and so we, right. we would be the guys planning all that and in my position i was the guy planning all of it making sure that we hit whatever target we needed to hit and and made sure that the um uh, that we were on time, on target, and took care of the objective. Okay. Speaking of those egos,
1: <laughs> so you have to have those egos. You do. I look at look, looking at Maverick, the the new one. I look at somebody like Hangman, you know, his his character, or, or like Iceman in the original Top Gun. You're around guys like this. Yep. So, I am one of those you're, guys. You're one of those guys. All <laughs> right. That's the
0: real deal, right? It's the real deal. That's the absolutely. Real deal. That's not something you can teach. It, it's not something you can teach. And so for me, it was. You know, however, you know, 50 combat missions, 350 carrier landings, all what, whatever we were doing out there, it's, it's as soon as you have that self-doubt and say, yeah, maybe I'm not up to this, that's when you're dead. And so it, it literally is the naval aviation. It's better to look bad or better to die than look bad is actually one of the creeds. So it's like everybody wants to be the best it, there's it's competition, you know, alpha, alpha folks all over the place. And, so when, when Cougar turned, turned in his wings oh. on top, he did the right thing. Uh, he did the right thing, but I would just say, he, so when Iceman says he was a good man he's yeah. like, and Maverick <laughs> says he still is a good yeah. man, I just tell you, that is the way um, the aviators think that it's like, yeah, you, you weren't as good as the rest of us and, and you probably didn't have what it takes. And so, Although Maverick actually showed some humility in his comment, like dogging on Iceman, but Iceman's thoughts in that are are how people in naval aviation really thought. Okay, Tad, I've got a question for you. Sure. Prior
1: to Annapolis, prior to joining the Navy, you had flown commercial. You've been in an airplane before. Sure. Okay. Had you ever flown private nope. Cessna? No. Okay. Nope. I want you to take me through your now. Just help me with the timeline here. All right. Final year of Annapolis. Your selection you've decided what you want to do. How long is the flight school? If I'm using the correct, correct terminology. So, and I'm just going to follow that up with what was it like the first time you went up in an aircraft in the Navy? What kind of aircraft? And did you have any second thoughts the first time you did any type of like G maneuver in an airplane? So, so
0: here, here was the piece for me. So I, I grew up loving roller coasters. Okay. And so if, if you're, you know, into some of the things now they got the the ones that go zero to one twenty, and I tell you that's what a cat shot feels like and is exhilarating, so much fun. So I was a adrenaline junkie, high school loved loved going on roller coasters, everything else. So when I went to Annapolis, it was like I said, my eyes were bad, goose died. I didn't want to be a an aviator. Um, now you can get your eyes taken care of and cut, and so I'm a little little uh, a little pissy that like. I'm, I'm too too many two years too late that like I could have done that and actually been been the pilot and whatever, but so at the time it was goose or nothing, and so what what for me was a great experience was in in 1988 so two years after after Top Gun and we're going into our junior year they took us to a week down to Pensacola and so we got into a T-34 which was basically the the best way to explain it would be like a World War II prop plane okay. that could go about. 250 knots. And so um, I got the most fortunate flight ever. Everybody's supposed to get a 10-minute hop, you know, jump in. I'd say 50% of the folks got sick when they went and did it. I went out, and the Blue Angels were flying that day. So they shut down the airfield. So I got to see the Blue Angels from the sky. And then I did basically an hour and a half of acro where the instructor was just like, okay, I'm going to let you have the stick. So it was it was the, the training plane. So a guy had a stick in the front. I had the stick in the back. And he taught me how to do rolls, taught me how to do a split S, taught me how to do barrel rolls. And so for an hour and a half, I was just out there with my hair on fire, just absolutely loving it. And it was, I think I got done and landed. And uh, I I think I got a little misty-eyed because I knew I couldn't be a pilot. And I was like, this was the most fun I've ever had in my life. So that was going into my junior year still at that point thinking I'm going to be a sub guy. But it was it was an absolute exhilaration and adrenaline. You know, if you're into that type stuff, it was it was the most awesome thing ever. That's incredible. So you mentioned your junior year; you still thought you might be a sub guy at this
1: point. Yep. But this this again plants another seed in sure. your mind. This 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 experience is like, no, I I uh, maybe being in the air is where I need to be. Yep. So let's talk about done with Annapolis.
0: All right. So take me through the next phase of. Uh, so so then basically, what ends up happening is you go down to Annapolis, and so. If you saw an officer and gentleman, they go through 13 weeks of officer candidate school, and in that they go through the dunker, they go through all all different pieces. So we had six weeks of initial training that everybody went through. So pilots and and naval flight officers were all together. We go through six weeks. It culminates with a week of survival training that they throw us out in the the jungles of Florida here and. I basically ate palms and and, uh, ate, and I think we killed a rattlesnake and and ate a snake out in the woods. And um, so nothing compared to like what they go through in Officer Gentleman. We didn't have, we'd already been through our gunny phase of, you know, everybody yelling at us and all that stuff. But um, so you go through the six weeks and then you finish that. So they call it aviation indoctrination. So AI is the, the first six weeks. And so then after that, The NFOs go one route and the pilots go another route. So we ended up going to state and we stayed in Pensacola as naval flight officers. The um, pilots ended up either going up to Whiting, which was uh, basically 30 minutes north of Pensacola or over to uh, Texas. And so at that point, you kind of split off and and we start doing our training. They start doing their training. I think for people that
1: have have never been in the Navy or even or even taken flight lessons, there's a hell of a lot of book work oh yeah there's tons i mean the the classroom work tell me about the amount of classroom work you have to do because you think train you think flight training you're 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 always up in the air you're doing maneuvers and you know but there is so much behind the scenes if you will that you have to learn and 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 just talk a little bit about that the academic side of the training
0: so so that six weeks of ai was nothing but academics and so we had to take certain tests do do certain pieces we had to do boxing that was fun and um you know just a a couple physical things but then Ground school for the for the naval flight officers was 16 weeks. And they, so that was school, 16 weeks. And it was 40 hours of school. And then we had tests. And so it was you'd get done with the test, and literally within an hour, because it was all computerized, they would throw it up on the screen, and you'd know where you landed, and everything's competitive. So literally, with, with even within the naval flight side, it was the first phase getting through basic. It was ground school, 16 weeks, and then we had five flights, and that was it. And then you select. So I'm either going navigation, which was props and P3s, which would be land-based, or I'm going jet-based, which is going to go to carrier aviation. So literally at that point, that's your major inflection point. Uh, So you're talking four months after you start up, you're you're either going left or right. And whether you're going to be land-based and hunting subs, you know, based on a a four-prop plane that's based on, on land, are you going to the carriers. And so so that's the major piece. What was your, you said that was the inflection point. What was your decision to go carrier? So my decision, it was never even a doubt. Okay. So so when I started up flight school, I wanted to do A6s. Um, so exactly what I said before with the, the difference between the two communities was F-14 was the pilots. It was a pilot-based um, community. And the guy in the back, I heard guys say, I'd rather have 200 pounds of gas than the guy in the back. Right. And so when you hear that, it's like, well, that makes me feel real good. So um, it was it was just a different respect in the A6 community. So everybody wanted A6s. Um, The big piece was A6s were going away. It was a Vietnam based aircraft and we were supposed to transition to the A12. So but that was everybody that went naval flight officer. Unless they unless they wanted to be an F-14 Rio, but I would say 90% of the guys wanted to be an A-6BN just because of the, the career applications and and the, the pieces that were important there. Let's talk just a little bit, just to kind of paint a picture for a little bit about the actual A-6
1: sure. for, for, for those listening. Uh, a movie that we're going to talk about in a little bit, Flight of the Intruder, came out sure. in 1990, uh, is a movie that's sort of based around that plane. And you said, mentioned it was a Vietnam-era airplane. Or jet. Excuse the, me. The the prototype came out in nineteen fifty nine. 1959. 1959. <laughs> this is not like like we've watched. We've all watched Top Gun, Maverick. Well, you know, th- this is not a plane that has. It even says in the movie that has no defenses. Like it, it does not have. A, we we, a, a, we used to say we were truly offensive. Truly offensive. <laughs> yeah. This is a plane that is used. like you said, as a first strike. Yep. You know, it's it's a tandem. You see it. Uh, side by side side by side it's a it's an incredible plane yep why doesn't it have any defenses i mean is there ever a justification for that i mean it, it can carry a lot of ordnance you could never put a you know a couple missiles on there i'm just curious so about
0: that. so we could carry a sidewinder but right. there was no reason to okay. so so really our best defense was to get down to the ground and so the 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 fighters that were out there weren't going to come down at so honestly you know, the the Maverick movie that just came out, they were talking about getting low and everything else. And so our standard operating procedure was to get down to 200 feet and it was uh, but at 200 feet, you know, you were still still basically out there and and you would be vulnerable to a lot of different different type of uh, um people that wanted to take you out of the sky. So we would always practice a little bit below that. And so, oh yeah, I know. So, so I, I see you like clutching yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the lowest I was ever was lower than 50 feet That's, flying at four and 50 knots. And so watching Maverick, it was, I, I've been there and it's, it's a rush, and that's the that's the type of stuff you sign up for when you're in your early twenties. You answered a question I was about to about to ask you: Is that you know what speed were you would you
1: have been flying uh, yep. at those altitudes? And you said 450 knots at, at right about. So
0: 50 feet. so mill mil, it it, and it depended. So the whole thing with the uh, with the mission, you could you could see in Maverick where they're saying, okay, we're going to do it at two minutes, we're going to do it two fifteen. Our thing was always on time on target, so you you flew whatever you needed to to make sure the bombs were hitting. Uh, within ten seconds of when you needed to, and so, so like even now when things are whether it's uh, whether I'm running two minutes late or whatever, I start thinking that if you're more than ten seconds late, people are going to die. <laughs> and so oh. and so it's just things that in your training gets gets ingrained, and so and so that's not being on over the target like on time. It's the actual bombs blowing up like when they're supposed to be blowing up because there's always coordinated stuff that has to happen right. in the background. We're going to circle back to the A6 and the retirement sure.
1: of that plane at some point. I would like to talk about the first time you, you got in an A6. Was that on land or was that on an
0: aircraft so, carrier? So, so the way the way it works is, and so let me go back to flight school a little okay. bit. And so I, I think this is relevant for probably what what you're wanting to, to understand with uh, the way the, the track goes when you're trying to do all this stuff. So So we finish basic and you, and you make the inflection point. I'm either going to be on the land or I'm going to go to the carriers. And so then that's, you know, so the, the funny, this is a funny story. And my, my roommate on the carrier, Rob Hunt will not be happy about this, but, um, so he wanted to go navigation. And so it's always needs of the Navy. And so I explained the billets before with the service selection, and everything Mm -hmm. else. And so you could say, you could be top of the class top three or four and if you weren't on the Commodores list you didn't get what you wanted to it was basically what are the needs of the Navy and some, some nerd you know, pencil neck geek up somewhere in DC would say yeah that's great but we need like we need to, to get good people and bad people and so we can't have all the good people going one way and so they would kind of take the where you landed in the class and they would filter you out and it would be the needs of the Navy so if you wanted to go be on the land, but you weren't on the Commodores list. Even if you might be the number three guy in the class, um, and that's what you want to go do, they were like, "Hey, sorry, we need more good guys over in Jets, and that's just what what happened to you." And so they they would put, or sorry, when the, when you would go to the graduation from basic, it was either navigation or J. And so I just remember being at the graduation, and Rob was there, and they would say they would they would announce the people graduating, and they would announce what they got, and so. On the board, it would be, here's what you selected. And so Rob had N, and then what you got. And so they're like, you know, Rob Hunt. And they didn't say he selected NAV, but they're like, and he gets Jets. (laughs) And so we're at the graduation with all these important people, and they're like, so Rob Hunt, Jets. And you hear this, shit. (laughs) 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 And so he ended up doing good and ended up getting A6s, which everybody wanted, but he originally wanted to go NAV, and that's just a great illustration of – we were all kind of to the 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 needs of the Navy. And so we ended up getting, a lot of us got lucky to get what we ended up wanting. And, and a lot of us were just good to get what we wanted. But, you know, so when I got to my squadron, it was it was a mix of people that wanted to be there, absolutely fought like hell to get there. And other people that were like, yeah, I'd rather have been doing something else. So it's okay. it kind of a mix of folks. So then how you get to the A6. So after you get out of the basic there, uh, then you go to intermediate. And so with that, there were 22 flights and they took us from, you know, a little more, you get more complex as you go through all these flights. And so that's less, less schoolwork. And so you might go four weeks to learn how to fly the aircraft you're going into now. It's less learning about navigation, less learn, learning about, you know, the weather and things like that, that affect, affect aviation. And then it was more into the tactics of we started getting into low levels. So now you're, you're dealing with, you know, how do you fly it? At, at, at this point, we're going 300 miles per hour. So you're going five miles a minute and you're trying to figure out, you know, how do I figure out when's going left, right, um, forward and back. And you still have to be on on time, on target, plus or minus 10 seconds to go back to the mission of the, of the Navy. And so you had up to 22 missions. So every flight um, you either got, there were 23 criterion of pluses or minuses. So you got every flight graded. And there was no anybody that got a 4-0 flight. There was nobody that ever got a 2-0 flight. It was always one above two above so one above was a great hop two above was you were you know basically you know walking on water one below was hey you didn't have a great flight two below means you almost just really messed up and if you got a down that meant you really screwed up and you could have like really put people in danger out there and so if you got three downs at any time you're doing any of this whether it's pilot or NFO you got washed out and you went and did something else besides fly for the Navy. That was it. That was it. You're done. So that was always hanging over your head. You know, you never wanted to get the downs. So there's always pressure on every flight pressure on every flight not only not to get it down but it was you needed to do well because you didn't want to be stuck in a plane you don't want to be in the person they paired you up with the the pilot did you fly with him the entire time
1: those all those missions or did you sort of did you mix and match or was it were you paired up with this guy so so
0: once we got out to the fleet they would have a primary crew member that you're crewed up with and um and so that would be your primary and then you had a secondary and then it would be just whatever, if you needed to fill in, you could fill in. Right, but you had you had a primary and secondary. You primarily flew with, and the the crews would rotate about every eight months. Okay, so that you rotate with different people. But you knew everybody. You oh guys, yeah, you guys all knew each other. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. So this this is a,
1: a question I've been curious about. So can we talk a little bit about some of the traditions, or you know, the do's and don'ts that you were allowed to do while you were in flight school? OK, we look at Maverick first. There's a bar where everybody hangs out. There's certain rules. I mean, were there traditions that you had to follow? Was there things you were not allowed to do until you were out of
0: the pro? Until you were. I mean, I'm just curious. So I think where you are going was uh, what we call that being a So okay. if you're a rady meant you were doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing because you haven't earned that right quite yet. OK, uh, nothing really. The, the big things would be if you wore your cap into a bar. You know, that was a that was ringing the bell like they did in Maverick okay. and you would have to buy the bar. It was always a bad thing. So it would always be some knucklehead that would do it and then didn't want to pay because I. So when I was in Pensacola as as a junior, you know, officer, I was making twelve hundred bucks a month. So if you had to pick up a fifteen hundred dollar bar tab. Yeah. You didn't have it to, <laughs> to do stuff like that, so so it was very frugal back then. That all goes on though. That it, so it all absolutely that stuff goes on. on. It okay. still goes on. Yeah. All right. So after flight school, so uh, and and so just to go back, so with with the intermediate, you ended up selecting there, and so so just with the with the Maverick stuff for you, you know, it was. Um, I remember I, I finished number one in my class, which awesome. was was you know for for me probably one of the highlights of my life because it is if you think about Maverick. That is the life. And you were fighting those people every day. And um, and so the finish number one in the class, it was I got my selection on what I wanted to do. And so I was, I was. I was like at that point, do I want to do A6s, which is what I came here to want, what I wanted to do, or do I go fly F-14s? And as I'm walking into the graduation, I look up and there's an F-14. And I'm just sitting there going, flashing back the Top Gun. And so one of the big pieces with Top Gun that I didn't say before was, I mean, it it overshadowed my entire naval career. You know, I mean, that came out six weeks before I went to Annapolis. It was everything when I was there at Annapolis. It was everywhere when I was in flight school. I mean, even our graduation, it was the guys that selected Rio. We named everybody Goose and (laughs) we're making fun of them and, and everything else. So even then it was still just such a huge part of what we did. And, um, so even then, like, I'm walking in going, am I going to change the selection here, which I had the right to do, um, at, even as I'm walking. I remember walking in with my mom, and I'm like, this is a really tough decision. And my mom's like, what's the decision? I was like, do I fly that, or do I go fly what I really want to fly? And she goes, you know, you go fly what you really want to fly. Yeah. And, and it was it was kind of a, a fun conversation with my mom. I was like, okay, thanks. That's that's what I needed to hear. And ended up, uh, you know, following what I want to do and, and went and flew the ASICS, which, looking back, wouldn't have changed anything. Now you're assigned to a carrier, or no? Right? So, um, so where we went after flight schools, you would go to the fleet replacement squadron. Okay, that's where you learned how to fly the A six. It took a year of flight school to learn how to fly the A six. What time period are we at right now? Where, where, what year are we in right now? So, when I was in flight school, it was. Um, the big piece was the Gulf war broke out. And so, um, you know, I started up flight school in 1990 and then the, and and then the, uh, the Gulf war broke out in basically 91. So by the time I got to the, to learn how to fly the A6, this was 1992. So everything had happened. And so all my instructors were guys that actually been in, in the Gulf war. So it was pretty cool. Like learning from guys that actually been there. So a lot of guys that were on CNN, uh, coupled the, the POWs and things like that were actually my instructors, and okay. I got to spend time with them. And and then the guys that went in low, um, like they did in Maverick, uh, in the first Go For, that was the A six mantra. We go in low, and it became a because of the defenses that were set up, going low was a bad idea, and that's why the guys got shot down. And so so the the what ended up becoming kind of the strategy after that was to stay high, stay above the AAA. Uh, that's anti aircraft artillery. Which was not effective above a certain level. So once you were up there, it was kind of the the little bullet, big sky theory that uh, gravity would make the bullets bend and they couldn't get up above a certain level. And I certainly don't
1: want to ask if this is classified information. By any I won't means. say anything classified. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm certainly old enough to remember the, the Gulf War, mm-hmm. and I'm, I mean, this was the the first war that was televised live. You were like 13 at that point. Yeah, I was 13 at the time, and I remember one of the iconic images of, of that is the night vision camera showing yep. the the you know the the fireworks in the night. fireworks in the sky. Yep. So at what altitude could you was that not a problem that the planes would fly at? So so that is classified
0: okay, but it's, sorry. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's 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 above it's above a certain altitude. Above a certain and, altitude. And yeah. once you're above that altitude, you're you're not seeing anything. So uh, as far as those are tracers that are coming up. Yeah. The, the tracers are no issue, but the the sur- surface-to-air missiles that are cough and corner from Maverick, yeah. those were always an issue. And so even during that time, it was, it was something that folks had to think about. So the A-6s, though, that they initially, they, they did the low. They came they, in low. They did yeah. the low initial. And so in the first Gulf War, it was they went in low and kind of got punched in the face a little bit with going low. And then at that point, they, they switched up the strategies and went high after that point. And so... Um, for us in the A6 community, we hated that because that was kind of our mantra that we go low and, you know, stay underneath everything. But it was also you always have to change to whatever the uh, strategy needs you to do. So um, in the Gulf War, it was go, a more go high strategy with precision guided munitions. When you joined the Navy, it was peacetime.
1: While well, you're in your training process, a war breaks out. And you said you were in 92, you were doing the the, the actual a six yep. instruction. I mean, what's going through your mind at this point? Are you, are you just sort of, um, uh, you know, cause you, you, you didn't participate in that, but you were with people, the people training, you did participate in it. Does it change? Did the reality of, of what you might be asked to do change at that point when a, when a war broke out?
0: Not at all. So I'd say when going into the aviation community, you know, you get the first big kick in the face when uh, we all had the SGLI, which is the service group life insurance. And so everybody signed up for 200000 a year. And then it was like, oh, by the way, here's the aviation discount. If something happens to you, if you're in an aviation mishap, you only get 50 cents on the dollar. And so you hear that. So I was, a, I was a math major at Annapolis, and I go, okay, so I can do the math, and I know how that works. And it's like, okay, so I'm taking some big risks doing what I'm doing. Um, but it was also just one of those things that you heard, you kind of absorbed it, and it was like, yeah, no, it's not that big a deal. Okay. All right. I'm going to circle back. I I'm, want I'm to talk about
1: being on an aircraft carrier, life on an aircraft carrier. But we haven't mentioned that while you're in the Navy, a movie does come out called Flight of the Intruder, sure. which features the a 6 which tell me tell me what the response of that film was in the in the Navy
0: community, so in the Navy community, what was funny is there's a quote in that movie that uh, fighter guys make movies, attack guys make history. And so coming out of that movie, it was the big joke within our community was fighter guys make movies, attack guys make bad movies. <laughs> and so I would tell you from so that one came out when I was in the process of selecting A6s okay. or F-14. So it was between, between the two movies, do I want to go with a bad movie or do I want to go like the epic movie of all time and go with Top Gun. But the piece was um, you and I have talked a little bit about their components of Fly the Intruder that if your listeners haven't heard, I'm going to tell them to go. Listen or go watch a couple of these pieces that are really what flying in the Navy was all about, and uh, it really captured the essence of what was going on within my aircraft. And so may- maybe we can talk about some of that, or you can lead me lead the witness the right way that you want me to talk about some of that. Well, stuff. We'll,
1: we'll we'll come back to that. I just want okay. to see
0: how that movie how that movie was received. Uh, it yeah. it was one of those things that I think it, everybody thought it was going to be the next Top Gun, and it wasn't. They
1: tried to make a few.
0: Yeah, Top Gun clones, if you will. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. they tried to do Nick Cage uh,
1: with Apache helicopters yep. and Firebirds. Yeah, of course we've we've jokingly talked about Iron Eagle a few times. So yep. maybe we'll circle back to that one. Sure. In a little bit, tell me about life on an aircraft carrier, and more importantly, tell me about your very first
0: carrier landing and takeoff. So life on an aircraft carrier was. Uh, so I've I've heard a quote that I think is probably the the best way to capture it, it's uh, there are days, weeks, and months of sheer boredom sec- separated by seconds of sheer terror. And so life on the carrier was, it was 6,000 dudes on a carrier. <laughs> and so we were the, in a tight space. Um, but if you saw Top Gun, you saw kind of the energy up on the flight deck, you'd see the energy with the air crew. And it was one of those things that it was, it was... A sacrifice to be on it, but man, there was there was so much energy and fun being on the carrier as well. So there there was a lot of lot of really cool things about being out on an aircraft carrier. Yeah,
1: and of course, this is I'm, I'm only speaking from things I've seen in movies and and things like that. But I've always sort of had the sense that the 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 aviators were kind of the, for lack of a better term, the the cool kids in school on the aircraft carrier. I mean, kind of ha, you know could walk with their head a little bit higher. Uh,
0: is that is that any truth to that or there it's absolutely 100% the truth cuz it's basically we would say the aircraft carrier exists for us yeah. and so it's uh, it's in the navy it's the the navy guys call the carrier the boat, the boat. and so <laughs> the the boat and so everything else is a ship and so the aviators were kind of uh, would look down on the the rest of the Navy a little bit. We got to wear brown shoes. We got to wear cool jackets yeah. like I got over there, you know, and the, the other people didn't get to do that stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> that's,
1: just, that's why I wanted to have you on the show. No, so I know. I know. And, 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 I and it
0: that. is. You kind of hate saying that. It's kind of like the Dr. Seuss sneeches, Yes, we had the stars and, like, yeah. everybody, everybody wanted to have the patches and the brown shoes. No, that's awesome. Take me through your first CAT takeoff. And, and for those who
1: don't know, on these aircraft carriers – is an incredibly short or lack of a better term runway yeah. I don't know what we call the the top of the deck, which very short it, deck. It's, it's the catapult the
0: catapult which will propel an airplane or a jet from standing to what speed it, it depended so okay. what was what was fun is if you had a bunch of what we call loaded weapons that were very uh non aerodynamic so you'd have to get even faster so we'd go zero to one fifty. So kind of like a Tesla these days probably (laughs) best, best reference for folks. Take me through that very first, that very first launch. So when we were at the uh, fleet replacement squadron, we would go out. And so uh, I ended up going out with um, another, another student. We were absolutely petrified coming in. And so it was, it was the first landing. So we didn't take off first. So it it was going out, taking off out of Virginia beach. And we went landed at the aircraft carrier, and it was boy the first time you're coming in, and you guys can go out to YouTube and see one, but it's you're used to landing on a twelve thousand foot runway, and you come in and you have about fifty feet of space really that you need to put the tail hook into, and so it goes from being this okay, so so it was hard enough doing the twelve thousand. Now we're doing other stuff. You're dealing with crosswinds. You're dealing with the. A pitching deck. It's, we it's would in do motion. It's in motion. It's moving. Um, it helped a little bit being in motion. So the closure rate, it would go into the wind. So you'd kind of be going, it, it would, the, the closure rate would be slower than it would be if you were going faster on a runway or anything like that. But, but it's still going into landing on a pitching deck. Um, absolutely petrified. And it was during the daytime. So the first one during the daytime was, it was petrifying and I did 35 in the first day. So it was like literally oh. they they landed us and I ended up staying in the in the plane with a bunch of different people and it was doing the doing the daytime after you did those first couple terrifying you get it out of your system. It was literally like going on a roller coaster. It was great experience. It was fun. Absolutely loved it. It was the night times that weren't so so much fun. Okay. Let me ask you this before before we
1: get into the nighttime. And and listeners, you can't see us, but I'm I'm just asking the the angle of attack that you come in on an aircraft carrier is different than how you would land on a runway, correct? Yep.
0: And you don't really flare up or or do you? Or how, how, I'm just curious how. That so works. so here would be for the listeners out there. So if you guys have flown on commercial aircraft, there's there's the people that come in and kiss the runway. Those are probably your. Former Air Force pilots, okay, and there are come some that come in, and you absolutely come in, and it's a controlled crash, right? And usually, when that happens, when I get off my my airplane after a controlled crash coming in, I'm like, hey, I think you caught the two wire, nice job, and it turns out to be a Navy guy, so our our lady, and it's uh, it's primarily you're coming in, it's a controlled crash, you're putting the tail hook, you're placing it in between different wires, and it's it's just it's a totally different different landing than you do when you're on the uh, when you're landing uh, on the Air Force type rollout. I absolutely love the fact that when you fly commercial,
1: you based on the landing, you can identify. Oh, absolutely. Whether they were Air Force. or Navy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, No, so. It, I, every, if anybody's listening, they go, "Yep, yeah, no, I can tell. That's incredible. It did 35 of these daytime it, in the day in the yep. day. Okay. And uh, you said after the first couple ones, it was it was it was fun. It was, fun. it was
1: absolutely great. Tell me about a nighttime carrier landing. Because so so the, so the night
0: the nighttime carrier landings were different. You're coming in on instruments until you get to, you know, call it three quarters of a mile. And and when you're coming in, you really can't see it's a lot of times a perfect night, you can see see the aircraft a little bit off in distance. You can see the lights. I don't know how guys did in World War Two coming in with lights out and stuff like that. I mean, just petrifying. So but coming in and it would be, um, if I was with a pilot I'd been with for a while, it would be like, what do you want me to call out? And so for most pilots, they were asking me to call out the uh, the vertical speed indicator, which meant kind of your acceleration down. And so we always wanted to be about 400 feet per per minute coming down. And so it would be nice gentle glide glide path coming in. And um, But at night, there was a lot of times I couldn't see anything. And so it would be coming in. And just do I land or not land? And if I felt I, if I felt acceleration on the jet, I knew we were going back around for what we called the victory lap. And so on the carrier, I had about a hundred landings at night, but I probably had about two hundred approaches. So about hundred victory laps where oh, wow. we just oh, wow. missed. Okay. So nobody ever went short at night, and so it would always be you'd always be going a little bit long with the power on, and uh, nobody wanted to hit the back of the aircraft carrier because basically. Aircraft carriers never lost one of those battles. Yeah, <laughs> so no you, kidding. Okay. you'd want to land long. So, so when you come in and
1: then, because uh, I always, it, it always sounds like I watch a ton of these on YouTube. It always sounds yep. like when they, when they do get the hook, though, it does sound like the engines are.
0: They gotta, they gotta be back
1: up. Just they gotta be
0: full on, full on. Okay. Especially in the A six, so our, our, our weight to thrust ratio was just that. That if we didn't have the the power fully on, you weren't going to go up back around, and you would simply plunk off
1: the end. Can you talk about without getting into any real detail? missions that you went on flights that you did? I mean, are are we allowed to discuss that at all? I mean, without, we don't have to name countries or anything like that.
0: No, I I mean, I'll, I'll say like the missions that I was on were over Bosnia and Iraq. Okay. And so it was, it was basically from 94 to 96. And so, uh, over Bosnia, you know, it was, we were over there doing a peacekeeping mission. And so we were doing, doing a whole bunch of different pieces that you know, Bosnia and Serbia had were, were going at each other and we were over there just trying to keep the peace. And then over in Iraq it was basically keeping the fly zone safe and, and doing a bunch of missions over that way as well. So we were always high, so we weren't going in doing low stuff, but we were always always weaponized up. So we had yeah. precision guided missiles for or, and and guided bombs for anything that might might come up that we might need them for. Can you talk just
1: a little bit about what the no-fly zone was in Iraq? Oh, the reason I asked that is because with what's going on right now, I don't want to get into the politics of what's going on in Ukraine right now, but you know, you hear calls for no-fly zones and I'm wondering if you could just sort of define for the listeners what it means to
0: institute a no-fly zone. Sure. So, so basically it's you institute a no-fly zone if anything shows up in that area, it gets blown up. That's it. That's it. And and I've I'm
1: sure I've read this before that there were some some aircraft in Iraq that entered the no-fly zone from time to time.
0: From time to time. Yeah. And it would be, um, I would say that they got gently nudged. Yeah. You know, hey, I think you're probably not meaning to yeah. encroach. And they would say, nope, I wasn't meaning to. And they would get out of the way. So yeah. so we, we never really had too okay. many issues when we were there. All right. So the aircraft carrier was from
1: 93 to 96. Mm-hmm. What happens did you make do you make the decision to not be on the aircraft carrier anymore does just again goes back to the navy needs the needs of the navy you, i mean you what got happens? it yeah. so
0: so what happened to us was i was in the two seat a6 mm-hmm. and so those of you that saw maverick it went to the one seat f-18 and so obviously one seat for the pilot no seat for the bombardier navigator yeah. so all the f-18 guys or all the a6 pilots were ecstatic so they went from going from a 68 camaro to a you know, brand new Maserati. <laughs> and so these guys were like, this is the best thing ever. And all the A-6s guy or all the Bombardier navigators were like, you know, well, you know, what was me? What am I going to go do? So we didn't have, we, we kind of got filtered out to whatever the needs of the Navy were okay. for naval flight officers. What was it like when the F-18 came in? I mean,
1: I mean, does that, I
0: mean. So, so the F-18 was around, <clears throat> we had two F-18 squadrons on the squadron, uh, on the in our air wing when i was out and so they were single seat f-18s and at the time in 96 when i chose to get out we didn't know if the two seat was going to be something navy did or not the marines were flying it and uh but it hadn't been decided yet that they were going to go to the two-seat navy version so so for all of us they went to the the f-18e version echo version and the foxtrot's what's flying out right now which is the two seat but it hadn't been communicated out that yeah. The, the Foxtrot's going to be a major player, and so all the A six guys we didn't know what was going to happen, so it was kind of a no man's land for all of us. What was the decision as far as the Navy was concerned? To
1: were they just phasing out the A six at that point, like it was just yeah. done?
0: So what ended up happening with the A six was when I selected A sixes, I was pumped, I was excited. So what was supposed to happen with the A six was we were supposed to transition to the A twelve, and so this was going to be the uh, the carrier based stealth uh, two person bomber. And so Dick Cheney killed that in 1991. Hmm. And so when he killed it, it was it was many billions over overspent and overrun. And so they killed it. And when they killed that, it was they didn't know yet what they were going to do with the A-6. So um, 1991 to 1996, I was in that no man's land of, okay, so I'm going to fly the aircraft I want to fly, but I don't know what the future is going to hold quite yet. So it was kind of a strange time in the Navy at the time. Cheney was the defense secretary
1: under he was defense. George H.W. Bush at the time. Yes. Yep. Okay. They've, they've brought in the f eighteen single-seaters. What do you do next?
0: So I ended up going to um, the University of Michigan, ended up uh, being an ROTC instructor at Michigan, and get, uh, taught s- students during the day, and then uh, got my MBA at night. That's outstanding. Outstanding. And um, can we talk a little bit about what you do now? Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I uh, I just came down here to Ocala three months ago. Super excited. Um, I'm the CFO of Signature Brands, yeah. which is uh, a big company here in Ocala. And uh, we make sprinkles and yeah. we also make a whole bunch of other things. But, you know, sprinkles is the fun thing to say yeah. that, you know, sprinkles are for winners. And so joined a great team here that uh, our team is probably the most close knit I've had since uh, my Navy days. And that was one of the big key reasons of me coming down here. Um, and
1: I'm glad you did. Glad yep. we got an opportunity to chat. Okay, Tad, I have a friend of mine, and he is a retired um, uh, Marine Corps fighter pilot. And he told me that in his squadron, if anyone ever brought up the name Top Gun, they had they had to buy a round of drinks for everybody. So my question, first question is: obviously, Top Gun is Navy. The Marine Corps is department of the Navy. Why the animosity? Do you think?
0: Uh, they're they're a little sister, yeah. you know, offshoot of the of the navy, and so they don't like that at all. So if you saw a few good men, you kind of saw very very clear what the animosity is and uh it that pretty much summed it up it, more it does than exist it. there's yes. a great line
1: in a few good men where Kiefer suvelin says like like all you navy boys anytime we need to fight <laughs> when you, you guys you gave, gave us a ride, ride
0: absolutely that that's good i'm sure that we could do it a whole podcast so, so I, I have a brother-in-law who's in the marine who's actually retiring uh next actually this weekend so jim wow, happy right. retirement buddy awesome that's awesome <laughs> So okay, so there is a little okay. I, I, I was always there, there about is, that. and it's, I think it's more with the Marines that they kind of have an inferiority because they're kind of seen. They they do everything yeah. with the Marines. They have all three branches within one component of it. Um, and I total respect for the Marines. So anything I say, don't you oh, know? I, I hope anybody listening doesn't take it the wrong way. But it is definitely uh, they're they're definitely a step above with the discipline and the military ranks and you know all the military honors and all those things that the marines really take it seriously so um it's it's different than the navy especially in aviation where with us if you're one rank apart you were a call sign or whatever and with the marines it it is very 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 strict
1: okay real quick if, if i forget to ask this question and i'm editing this podcast tomorrow morning and i say damn it dana your call sign is blaster yep I'm going to ask you may, may sound like a dumb question, but I genuinely don't know. Do you get to pick your call sign or is it absolutely not? Absolutely <laughs> not. It's bestowed <laughs> upon you.
0: Okay. Can you maybe take me through that process? Sure. So, so the call signs are basically what everybody within the ready room decides they're going to call you. Okay. All right. So <laughs> you can come. So, you know, you hear all these things. So I, I saw one of, one of the shows on discovery and it was really funny. Um, and i and I'll, I'll steal from that. And so this was in the F-14 community, and then I'll talk about some of our squadron. But it was like this guy came came in and said, you know, hey, everybody says I'm the best pilot, so you guys need to call me Hot Dog. And they were like, yeah, so he didn't, like, hold up to that call sign, so we called him Boner. And so (laughs) – and then, you know, he ended up, like, screwing up some other stuff, so that didn't even really work. So he ended up becoming Renob, and it was Boner spelled backwards. Uh (laughs) And so he became Renob. So in our squadron – it was all based off of, with with the uh, call signs, it was pretty much either the, the last name usually had a lot to do with it. So I flew with a guy named Brian Cheeseman, you know, really, really, you know, interesting call sign named Cheese. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that like, but then we would come up with other things for him. So he became Cheese and he became Wheezy because it was Cheesy Wheezy. And he also smoked. So when it Wheezy really stuck... And he didn't like being called Wheezy. And when you don't like being called something, then it sticks. It sticks. So even though it's Brian Cheese, glad everybody knows about Cheese, like we called him Wheezy. And then um, so with everybody else, it was usually something would come out and it would be, don't call me that. If you said don't call me that, that became your call sign. Okay, I love it. <laughs> Can we talk about the origin of your call sign? So my call sign, my, my full name is Raymond Dean Gautzel III. And so I originally was Rain Man. Okay. And so it was uh, another movie. Yeah. Rain Man that. came out. Yeah. And I ha- and I do have a very innate math skill that is borderline Rain Man. Okay. And so I was Rain Man for probably the first six months. And if you actually go out to the Discovery show, Thunder from the Sea, my aircraft is out there with R.D. Gotzled 3. Okay. And then underneath there's Rain Man. Okay, awesome. That's but awesome. then what ended up happening with – blaster was rain man just didn't really stick. And so it's what sticks and that's really what becomes your call sign. And so in the Navy, when you go temporary active duty, um, it's called TAD. And so my name is TAD TAD. And so we had name tags made out for blaster TAD. And I was standing watch one day and this one guy came by and he was like, how have we not started calling you blaster TAD? And so he threw a blaster tat on while I was on watch and I had it on. And then all of a sudden I became blaster. That was it. And that was it. That's a good story though. I like that. And it stuck.
1: That's perfect. That's good. That's good. Do you remember the movie, The Final Countdown? I do remember the movie, The Final Countdown. Okay. All right. That was sort of the first introduction on screen of the F-14 Tomcat. It had some True. really good aerial yeah. photography, especially for a movie that came out in 1980. Yeah. I mentioned this movie because there was a little bit of controversy behind the scenes. Um, and from what I understand, the Navy was sort of reluctant to lend its hardware, for lack of a better term, for, for any movie after that. Uh, but they ended up, uh, you know, allowing Top Gun to do that. Could you Can you talk a little bit about what the controversy was with the final countdown?
0: I would just tell you, think about the timeline. 1980, Cold yeah. War. Yeah. Absolutely did not want anybody to know what our top fighter or what the capabilities were. Yeah. So that, that's what yeah. it was all based off. Okay. And so – in '86, I think it was more. There was still a lot of obfuscation. That's a big word for tonight. Yeah. On, on what the F-14 could do, and you know what the capabilities were. It was more about you know it was really more about the dogfighting and everything else. You didn't get into the Phoenix can go X miles, and and that's really with the way the fighter guys thought about their missiles and things like that. It was literally like the old school jousting. Who's got who's got the bigger stick? And so, if you could hit another plane from fifty miles away, and their range was thirty miles away, you could go to the range at fifty, shoot a mi- shoot a missile, and get out of the way. And so, um, I think any of that stuff with the classifications, it was nobody wanted to know. Wanted the Russians to know how big our stick was, and that's why when you watch
1: Top Gun, it's just pure dogfighting. Just it's, it's b- absolutely, because you're right. I mean, yeah. the, the, even I'm aware that you know the, the F-14 Tomcat had had missiles. That yep. could strike targets from huge distances, and for Hollywood production, that's not that's as not exciting. sexy. It's not yeah, sexy. Yeah. It's like we fire a shot, we're we're on our way back. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, what is the general consensus amongst naval aviators of the
0: accuracy or lack of accuracy in the original Top Gun? Oh, the original Top Gun was a fantasy. Okay, I, it was. There, there was a lot of great, cool stuff in it, but it was there was a lot of stuff in there that. It would not ever happen. So, um, you know, as you went into flight school and everything else, they would be like, Hey, you're not going to buzz the tower. <laughs> you're okay. you're going okay. to do some of these things and going through the hard deck. You could not go through the hard deck, but, things like that. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're dead. So I have two questions on that. that, that, sure. that sent, okay. So, so in a real, in the real world
1: scenario when Maverick buzzes the tower halfway through the movie and they, uh, the officer spills coffee on him, and whatnot. Uh what could one expect uh, to happen to them if they uh, if they did that?
0: Uh they would they would not be flying rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. <laughs> they would basically be on a tin can out of some really bad place, Adak, Alaska. So you wouldn't be you wouldn't be flying, you wouldn't be doing anything. That that, that was it. I mean that so that, that, that one that,
1: stunt he did could've have, should have wing, ended wing, his Wings
0: would have been pulled.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and he was at Top Gun, which yep. is the prestigious, you know, it's the yep. was it Navy's weapons fighter. I mean, it's. Yep. <laughs> I
0: just I, I watched that. It, movie it, now. it wouldn't happen there. Wouldn't happen. And, and the and the guy that was in the tower at. San Diego would not absolutely like transport himself to the carrier as well. So yeah, that, that, that's, that, that's, another, that's another one. The hard deck is is a it's, it's an altitude that's established. So so just very very easy. Hard deck is the equivalent of the ground. Okay, right. So you go below the hard deck, you just went to the ground. Okay. So that's when they're like, hey, so you went below the hard deck. And When he says, I went below the hard deck, there was no danger. I took the shot. It was like he would have. So if he had stayed above the hard deck, when Jester went beneath it. It should have been a kill for him. Yeah, because because right? gest- gesture, gesture he, he, he goes yeah below he the hard went deck. below the hard deck, which is bullshit. Like yeah, <laughs> see, him, this is what this I hate is, that guy. But
1: that's <laughs> you're absolutely right. You know, yeah. when you're watching this movie, you
0: should, he should have stayed like literally hundred feet above the flight deck. Said, "Hey, you went beneath it. You're dead. That's it. I got you." So in Maverick, when John Hamm is chewing
1: Maverick's ass out about the hard deck. That was it's, a little bit it's more. It's legit. Yeah. That, that was absolutely legit. And he files a paper to have yeah. the hard deck lowered. So that's yeah. yep. That's really, really interesting. Can you explain what happens? Spoiler alert for Top Gun. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen Top Gun, please. But, but please go see it. Please see it. Hit pause. <laughs> you can hit pause and come back. And, explanation of what happened to Goose. What what and is that a real thing that you train for? Can you basically explain the a,
0: a so, term they use is jet wash? So it was jet wash. So I can tell you, I've never been in jet wash, right. but I can tell you, like some of the things that were funky that were having the F-14 in the in the '90s and the '80s was whether it was supersonic or whatever, they were getting a lot of compressor stalls, and one of the one of the engines or the or, or the other, and they would get into a flat spin. And so once you get in that flat spin that they're talking about, you couldn't get out. And so, getting into the jet wash, basically what ends up happening is you get some bubbles into the engine, and so it shuts the engine down. And so, you get one side, if he's supersonic on the other side, and you get one engine shut down, you get this crazy twist on the plane, and they get pinned down, and you can't get out. And so, I I do know people that have gotten in those flat spins like that that didn't make it, that Uh are no longer with us, and it's a real thing. And so... Like with what happened in Top Gun, I've never heard or seen it happen in close combat like that. It's just it's more like people are going out and they hit supersonic with the with F-14 and then they have one engine shut down and you can't get out of that. So I think Chuck Yeager is the only guy that ever got out of a flat spin. Of course. Of course, Chuck Yeager. The man. <laughs> the man. Absolutely. To <laughs> have it kind of explained
1: like that because I just I never really realized that. Think of it as an air bubble. That's yeah. all it is. Okay. And, and that was one of the things that, you know, I, I talked about in the, uh, the the Maverick episode where we, we talked about the Navy had requested some changes be made yep. uh, to the script. Sure. And, and one of them was that I think in the original script, if I if I remember correctly, it
0: was supposed to be two it was colliding. You're talking about and, the collision. Yeah, that, you like don't that, want to beat the beat. No, that, absolutely like that not. That wouldn't happen. No. I mean, that wouldn't. I mean. No. It, so trust me, it happened. it happened. And you don't want to ever have a movie like that, that yeah. people are talking about it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Other things that they wanted to change. Obviously, there, there's no identifiable country in yep. in both movies. As a matter of fact, sure. although I I have my suspicions in this new film as far as which country we're dealing we're talking it,
0: about. It, lo- it looked mountainy. It did. It, 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 it did look
1: mountainy. <laughs> Lots of snow. Yeah. Sure. I definitely had a, had my suspicions on that one. Going to, well, I, I have to ask. I'm always going to ask anyone's sure. opinion when it comes to one of my guilty pleasure movies is iron eagle and i'm just curious
0: your, your thoughts to add on iron eagle n- no effect on me as, or near as much as top gun right because i was a i was a navy guy iron eagle came out and it was air force and we make fun of the air force guys so i watched it i think i watched it once i never watched ne- it ne- no no desire to ever revisit <laughs> and they, and, they, and they and they the air force guys stole You know, Gossett Jr., who was officer and gentleman, and gunny, right? Won an Academy Award for that role. He was fantastic in that role. So I can tell you, that guy epitomized that role. He had it nailed. My roommate at Annapolis, his stepdad was a gunny, and same dude. You know, so so it was uh, absolutely those gunnery sergeants in the Marine Corps. They they are they are what has made America strong. Okay. I'm
1: assuming that you had watched Officer and a Gentleman a couple times before going to Annapolis, and I, before absolutely. going to OCS, and
0: and uh, I didn't go to. So OCS okay. was people. So the so for your listeners, there are three three routes to go to Annapolis, and this gets into Maverick. Okay, perfect. And so um, you go you go to Annapolis, and then you go to flight school. Okay, so you graduate and you're an ensign, um, or you go to ROTC and you graduate from. Like I was at the University of Michigan teaching. You graduate and you're an ensign, you go down to to AI, the same flight school as I did. And so AOCS, which they no longer have, you do officer candidate school, and so the Navy doesn't pay for your school at all, and you're just choosing to go in. And so you do 13 weeks of boot camp, if you will, and then you go start everything. So in Maverick, when Rooster is saying, you know, Maverick Maverick ended up putting me back four years, that was a falsification. And so that's that was the one big flaw in it that it didn't put him back by not going to Annapolis. It it was basically the same time frame.
1: Would Maverick, Maverick had that kind of pull? There's a term he says he pulled my papers. I don't know what that means. If I'm dude, being honest. he he
0: had Iceman was a four star. Yeah, it, he, he had that kind of pull. Iceman, uh, Iceman was the man, four star admiral. There's only uh, there's only like eight four stars in the entire navy. That's incredible. So we talked a little bit. Okay, so so Iron Eagle, um,
1: obviously the first Top Gun fantasy. Great film though. Yep. Great soundtrack. Yeah.
0: It's enduring. It's You're gonna get me teared up if you start talking about Maverick right now. Yeah. Or, are we going there? Are we going there? We're going there. We're okay, going, let's we're do going it. there. We're going let's there. But we're gonna talk a little just a little bit
1: about, you know, Tad, I'm I'm
0: a movie guy. I've
1: have been I for, am too.
0: My, yeah. So, so, so I don't know if uh, I don't know if that has come across, but yeah, oh yeah. I love movies.
1: I am I have gone on record for years on my show that I've been somewhat disillusioned with the state of contemporary American cinema. Okay. Everything has just become comic books and, and this and that. and i'm I'm a guy who uh, I, my, one of my most recent episodes is the top ten films with practical stunts and practical effects and all that stuff because I, if you can do it in camera, that's what I want. That's what I want to see because that to me there's there's something about actually seeing it. Yeah, sure. Uh, and that's that holds true for for the original Top Gun, although there were some some model work used in, in, in some of the scenes there. When it was first announced that they were going to make a sequel to Top Gun, I wasn't 100% sure if I was going to be on board with it because I was, like I said, disillusioned with the state of every, all the sequels and prequels and remakes that we've been getting. Sure. Then I found out the Navy's going to be participating again. That that got me excited because I said, okay, wait a second. Navy's back on board. That means we're not going to get a bunch of CGI planes. We're going to get the real deal. Yep. And when that first trailer dropped in mid-2019... I mean, excuse my language. I lost my shit on that. That was... Me as well. One of the best trailers for... Yeah. I mean, And I knew then and there that this was a movie that I was... I knew I was going to love it. Yep. And I know Hollywood makes great trailers for terrible movies, but I knew <coughs> I was going to love this because that scene of that F-18, I mean, what is he? A hundred feet off the ground, if that, the opening teaser trailer? He
0: might have been 200 feet. But, you know, those F-18s are kind of sissy guys. They yep. can't get low like this. Like, <laughs> I love it. I love it. So... Oh my god! I can only imagine you were like
1: me. This movie kept getting pushed yep. for for reasons we don't need to get uh, into. We all it was know so why. So frustrating. But I will say this: Tom Cruise had the final say on whether or not this movie was going to get, for lack of a better term, dumped onto streaming services. Paramount Plus. Yep. I mean, Paramount was they were desperate to get subscribers they could have put this on their new streaming service in late 2020 and that could have brought out a few million subscribers and justified it the fact of the matter is that this movie was released in may of 2022 i got invited to an early screening uh, at imax i've seen the movie three times in theaters every time in imax and i'm a civilian tad <laughs> okay and i i was tearing up in the first three minutes of that movie. So I have to just before we get into the, the the meat of the film itself, take me through your anticipation and your first viewing of the movie. I'm assuming it did not disappoint.
0: So for me, absolutely, with what you're saying light nineteen, me and my Navy buddies were going back and forth. What's gonna happen? We heard stories of Goose's kid, something with Iraq yep. with uh, it was Iraq originally what we heard with the F-14s, because Iraq, or I'm sorry, not Iraq, Iran. And it was something, something to do with they go back behind enemy lines, whatever. So some something had snuck out. So we're hearing, like, teasers of what's going on and, and what's, what's happening. So there's a whole bunch of juice around, like, what's happening. So then when the actual, like, the, the trailers came out, it, I was like, holy shit. Like, this looks awesome. And so everybody I know was hugely anticipating this thing coming out like I said I mean it top Gun overshadowed my entire Navy stuff so I I am a Navy dude since 1986 and so it has it has dominated the Navy culture since 1986 and so to see this come out um, and then to see some of the other trailers did you see the uh, the alternate trailer Oh yeah no I've seen them all so yeah. the, the alternate trailer on why didn't you make two star? That hasn't really didn't make the movie was one of the one of the funniest things I've ever seen. So we won't like get into that with the listeners, if you will. But um, but as far as like so I went, I had to watch an IMAX as well. And so the opening scene with the with the music and with the aircraft carrier, I could smell it. I could feel it. I mean literally I could feel the steam coming off of the uh off the carrier. I could smell the what we call non skid on the on the uh aircraft carrier. So non skid is literally steel mixed in with sand so that basically um on a steel deck like that stuff just doesn't slide off and get oily and like slide off. So but literally like if you fall on it, you get a strawberry that <laughs> lasts or six months. Wow. And so wow. I could smell the non-skid. I could smell the hydraulic, you know, I could smell everything that the George Washington had. And so, and then hearing the music I'm sitting there watching. I look over at my 22 year old son. He looks at me and I'm like, look away. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't even look at me. This is, I'm disgusting. I know look away. And so it was, it was, uh, for me, it was so rewarding to to see the, the whole movie.
1: They did something a little bit different with this film. Let's say a little bit different. They did something drastically different with the production of this film. In the sense of, I mean, I've seen the original Top Gun a hundred times. I'm saying that facetiously. I've seen it at least 20 times start to finish. Sure. The actors are not up in the cockpit of an F-14. They're just not. Yep. They're, they may have done a couple you know, shots of them actually in the plane but when you see anytime it's the actor on screen in a, you know I've always noticed the camera's just kind of it's always kind of swaying back and forth and they they're clearly behind a, a rear projection screen i mean that's sure. that's what they're, that's what they're doing from what i understand they navy took <clears throat> tom cruise up a couple times in the f14 they during the production of the movie sure. but but that's for top gun maverick completely different set of scenario. Yep. okay s- set of circumstances tom was insistent on this being as accurate as possible yep. so my question going into this movie before we saw the first trailer was, well, the most prominent plane or, excuse me, jet in the Navy right now is going to be the F-35. This is sure. going to be the the plane that's featured in the new Top Gun. Yep. And I was actually delighted to see the F-18 because, you know, it's such a recognizable plane um, jet. Excuse me. I'm, I am keep saying the blue, it's the Blue Angel. It's the Blue Angel. Yeah, Absolutely. Yep. Maybe you can speak to the simple reason why the F thirty five was not used in this movie, um, and then I'd love to hear your explanation as to why uh, Tom Cruise's explanation as to why they didn't Maverick's explanation. You you want the simple answer? I want the simple answer. The simple answer is the F thirty five is a single seat. Exactly, and yeah. the, and the reason behind that is Tom was insistent on getting the actors up in the cockpit yep. for real
0: this time, and, and, and so the, what was unique in Maverick was they had. They had both the, the Echo and the Foxtrot that had single seat and double seat. And so what they were able to do was the double seat, they were doing whatever simulation they need to do. But with the single seat, from what I read about, they put those guys in the back of an actual Foxtrot. And so they were in the back doing these missions so that you could see Tom actually with the stuff flying around him and everything else. And it looked like he was in the front seat, but he was actually in the back seat of an F eighteen.
1: Yeah, and and they had all of the actors. They the actors went through this incredibly rigorous yep.
0: flight training,
1: started in Cessnas, and then yep. just kept working their way up. Yeah, they're really in there pulling those maneuvers. Pulling yep. the, I mean, and that is a level of authenticity that I have frankly never seen in a movie before. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I think this movie stands out above anything released in the past so, 20 so, years. So
0: here's a unique thing, just thinking out loud with you. I okay. mean, this goes back to who was the guy um, that did the first like aviation movie back World War One. What's uh, his name? Uh, Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm just thinking yeah. of the aviator, right? That, that's an I authentic mean, movie. Yeah, no, but yeah. I, I think this was literally on par with the aviator where he was looking for clouds. So you can see the, the actual yeah. speed of stuff. I mean, this is probably the biggest step since the aviator on actually like breaking down on what really happens out there. So, so people can understand it. it. it's it's incredible. Now in the movie
1: And I'm just the little touches by the way, the little touches oh, yeah. in the movie. <laughs> like when he is and then spoilers it, it, for but, Top Gun but, Maverick. But, but it by the was way.
0: all the wraparound, right? Yeah. I, they did such a great job of Closing every open ended piece of Top Gun, absolutely. and I'm sure you're going to get to it. Absolutely, absolutely. Because but I've listened to your podcast the, before.
1: The uh, when he goes on the uh, the Dark Star, as they're calling it, or as uh, I think I heard it once being referenced as an senior 72 Yep. Um, doesn't it even have like a little? Uh, Northrop Grumman or Lockheed little logo on his on his flight stick. It has like a an actual.
0: I'm sure it does. Yeah, like just those I, little attentions of detail. Yep. Yeah. there's a great article where. But, but let's be clear. Yeah. So to go with that, yes. that's that's where you got to do your. If you're going to a movie, the suspension of disbelief. Correct. You do not get out of Mach 10 explosion no no that's <laughs> no. what that, yeah, that's that's that, there was there's a few questions i had and that yeah, was going to no, be that's one of them not so, one that
1: anybody gets out of um okay so we're going to get into some some facts first ver- facts versus and, and uh and, and, a, and i hate to dispel some no stuff I, for people listen i want to make sure everybody understands we love this movie absolutely love hundred, it 100 I, I have made the case that best movie ever for me that that it's better than the original yep it's leaps and bounds better yep. and i love the original yep i will give you a perfect example 1979 ridley scott does a movie called alien it's incredible 86 james cameron does a movie called aliens which is a masterpiece both amazing films aliens is a much better movie in yep. my opinion the godfather 2 is better than the godfather maverick is better than top gun absolutely these are these are just this is it the dark star is not a real plane. <laughs> it's not a real jet. It's a, although I can only imagine that but, they're, they're testing things out there like but, that. And, like, and
0: so, can I, an interesting ob- observation on the Dark Star 2 was the whole piece on the part of the uh, piece with Maverick was that the pilot is going away. Yeah. You're going to drones, you're going to all the other piece. And interesting, in 1989, my naval history class, I wrote that the cruise missile will, will replace the pilot. So that was yeah. one of one of the things I, that I wrote on. And I, I got an A on my paper. And it was, you know, the Navy would rather spend a million dollars shooting a cruise missile somewhere than having an air crew they spend a million dollars on that has human life associated with it to go deliver the same payload that has a shot of getting shot down. And then what do we do with that, with the news, with the PR, with yeah. everything else? And I was like. Aviation is going away. So this was nineteen eighty nine that I wrote the paper. And of course this is when I was going submarines and we were going to be launching the cruise missiles from the submarines. Yeah. And I didn't want to be goose. And so, you know, so this so is the whole piece, but it was it's ironic like watching the Maverick movie and it and that's where we are right now. And so it's almost the Skynet stuff, like at what point is all these pieces going to be replaced? And that was what a lot of the movie was about was you can't replace the mavericks of the world that you're always going to need that human element. And and that's OK.
1: That's a you know what? I'm going to I'm actually going to segue to that right now. Because, sure. Because is that the future? Is that the reality? I mean, I know you said you can never replace the mavericks of the world. But and I don't even I don't even want to begin to fathom what we don't know. The, you know, the military is working on. Yeah. I don't even want I don't even want to know. I mean, I know the skunk works and all that. So that's a, those are, those, those places, are real things. Those are real things. Yep. I've always joked around and said, you know, I tell my coworkers here, you know, 30 years from now, grandkids are going to say to us, you mean you actually had to drive the car? Because I think that's the world we're heading in. I think we're going fully autonomous vehicles within the next 20, 30 years. We're practically there. Yep. So that begs the question, you know, when you have Ed Harris telling, yeah. you know, Maverick, you know, you're, you're a you're dinosaur. dinosaur, you're a dinosaur. Yeah. Is that you think that's the thinking of the military brass, the ones that don't understand we still need the human element?
0: Don't know. Don't yeah, know. I mean, that, that's such a deeper yeah. thought. And I mean, you know, the whole piece is like, you know, you think about chess, you know, you think about any right. of these things. So, so the, the dogfighting is a, is a three-dimensional chess game. So can a computer do it better? Probably, you know, so it it basically breaks down all the variables that can happen, you know, what's going to happen. You know, there's only so many times you can hit the speed brakes and they'll fly right by before the computer says, (laughs) I fell for that. Like, you know, 999,000 times. And this time I'm not going to do that, you know, and it takes them two seconds to figure that out. So Is that the way it's going to go? Don't know. But it is kind of scary. You know, just from what we've grown up with the movies, with the Skynet and everything else that it's like, yeah, I I know a robot's going to be smarter than me. And it, it kind of gets frightening when you think about some of this stuff. Well, you have that article that came out a
1: couple of weeks ago where the guy who works for Google says that you know their AI be, thinks it's sentient. You know, <laughs> thinks it thinks it's a, a, a you know has thinks it's a person now. Yeah. And, he, and Google fires this guy. You know, <laughs> it's like whoa, whoa. Coming back to the dark star just for a moment because this is want to yep. get back to facts versus real, reality versus fiction, facts sure. versus fiction. So I, I can only assume the price tag on something like that would be astronomical. Yeah. Okay. And I'm wondering the repercussions for Maverick deciding to go up regardless. Because I, you listened to the episode I did on on, on Maverick, yep. and I said, you know, one of the things I loved about his character in this movie was he he was really grappling with decisions that knew these decisions could have ended his career. Yep, and he knew the risks. Yep. So he takes the Dark Star up regardless. Mach Nine was the goal for yep. that particular mission. Question: First question is. And again, this uh, this might get into classified stuff, so I don't want to uh, – just broadly. The SR-71 was
0: what? Mach 3? Mach 4? I, d- I don't, don't even know. know. No. Okay. I mean, it wasn't anything I did. The famous thing on the SR-71 was – I don't even know what altitude it was, so I'll, I'll make one up. Short. But it was like they call it – 71s coming down and said, hey, Los Angeles control requesting 110,000 feet. And they're like – Sure, 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 (laughs) sure. ghost rider. If you can get to 110,000, go ahead and climb up whatever you think you can get. And they're like, all right, descending to (laughs) 110,000. So they're up wherever they were at. And and so it was whatever that number was, that's not a classified number for anybody listening. It's it's a made up number that I have no idea what. Yeah, no, 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 that's, that's incredible. It's it's something up in the stratosphere that's into outer space. Right. And no one would survive. (laughs) Right. Mach ten,
1: a, a a breakup at Mach ten. No, he's he's ripped apart. Yeah, yeah, he's okay. Yeah, okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> when they when Maverick gets called back to Top Gun. Yep, and he's meeting with John Hamm and it's it's just great. He's he you're not John Ham. Says you're not my oh. first
0: choice. You're not my second choice. <laughs> you know. But what a, but, what what an awesome selection of John Hamm for that. Role. Oh, he's perfect. So I'm just telling you guys from my Navy career and then knowing Don Draper, that dude would have that such a perfect placement of him and the way he was with his persona and everything else he came across as the guy that was he was obviously excellent he finished number one in his class mm-hmm. in 88 or whatever year it was before before maverick and uh, so he had the the street cred but man he was such a jackass right <laughs> and so it was it was such a perfect placement of that role and uh just I, I'm a huge John Hamm fan, yeah. so like from Don Draper days, and I had a hard time not seeing Don Draper in that role, but I think he did a really nice job. It, I just felt like this movie also had, and you'll have, you can speak to this, just it 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 felt like it had
1: more repercussions, like as far as the rules that were being broke in the original Top Gun versus the rules that were being broken in Maverick. However, my question to you is. John Hamm grounds Maverick. He changes the parameters of the mission from 215 230 to 4 minutes. Changes, you know, the altitude. How easy would it be for Maverick just to hop in an F18 and then just do the run for everybody? I mean, would he just be able to just get on the flight deck and just take a plane up like that or No. No, I didn't no, think so. No, it
0: would be very difficult to do and especially in that environment like that. It would have been yeah. It was exciting, though. Oh, man, it was fantastic. And then seeing John Ham's face yeah. with that, like, uh, you know, the sour milk that, <laughs> that is the Don Draper look like, oh, I'm just pissed off. Because he knew he, he knew like and so the, him setting those parameters, knowing that it was a, he was making a suicide mission, more of a suicide mission. <clears throat> like most of the most of the people there were saying, hey, I'm not signing up for this. I'll sign up for it if you give me a chance to live and fight. But when it was okay, we're going to take everything down. So we're we're taking it a little more realistic. Nobody there was was buying off on the mission. Okay, and if you don't get buy off on that mission, nobody's going to go do it.
1: So there was been there would have been a choice.
0: It, it would have been tough because I can tell you, like sitting sitting in that seat if somebody said, Hey, here's a suicide mission and I want you to do it this way. And I know you're going to go die because you're doing it my way. I would have said, no, I'm not going to go do that. Okay. You know, to say, do you have a choice in that? You did. Cause you don't have to go fly the exactly. Okay. It, yeah. And, yeah. A, and if I knew like, Hey, there's no way. So you let me go fly this mission the way I want to fly it. Absolutely. Let's go. Let's, I'll put the knife in the teeth and let's go all day long. But if somebody was saying, no, look, I want you to do this and, I, and I'm sitting there looking and, at at the parameters, going okay, you're going to get me killed. Then yeah, there nobody, everybody just be like, yeah, here you go. It, you do the cougar, you throw the the wings on the desk and say, we'll see you later. I'm gonna I'm going to live to find another right. day because okay. what you're asking me to do is not not sustainable.
1: There's a line where when they when John Hamm was first talking about what the mission is, you know, we're blowing up a, a, a <laughs> uranium enrichment plant yep. in a unknown country. And it talks about the surface-to-air missiles, the SAM sites that are all up on the top of the mountains and and, and the maneuvers and everything. There is, I don't want to use the term throwaway line, but there's a line he uses on on why the F-35 would not be suitable for this mission. Now, we know the reason why the F-35 is not suitable is because they don't have two seat ones. And the parameters to make this movie was these guys have to be up in the cockpit. Do you recall what Maverick's line was as to
0: why the F-35 wasn't going to work? I don't recall what it was, but I tell you, it was a throwaway line so that everybody just knew you couldn't have a single seat doing it. Okay. So it was, it was something with I can't remember what it was, something with the radar or something. But it was, it was literally, it was Hollywood mumbo jumbo. So that we can't use this plane because it's too expensive to fly. Okay, that's perfect.
1: <laughs> that's perfect.
0: So what I loved about this movie, amongst
1: anything, I'm gonna make a list of 50 things I loved Best about this movie. Best movie ever. But I and I agree. I mean, I've I've said. Best movie I've seen in 20 years. Yep. And I see a lot of movies is the first time I saw the film. I don't want to say I felt like it was getting redundant, but they kept going over this. The mission, the mission, the mission. And I didn't realize it until <laughs> after until we actually get to the mission that it was so effective the way the filmmakers set up the mission. So we understood every aspect of what their mission was. So when they actually go on the mission, you're sitting in your seat and, you know, the moves they have to make. Yep. Along with them. and that's brilliant filmmaking. And I wasn't picking up on it the first time I saw the film until we actually got to the mission. And the second time I saw the movie, I was it was it was amazing. Talk about the maneuverability, the 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 the, the maneuvers they have to do. We're assuming everybody listening has seen this movie, okay? They talk about the the flight characteristics or the capabilities of the F eighteen, and they're going to exceed the 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 the, the they're going the bend the aircraft. They're going to bend the aircraft. Yep. What's going through your mind when you're watching that? When you're watching that scene, and you're watching.
0: I mean, is it? So the first thing I'm thinking of is when they were talking about the G's they're pulling. Yeah. So what they put us through in training in Philadelphia. So if anybody's seen the James Bond movies where they get the little G meter. where Moonraker. they, they, they take Moonraker, absolutely. Moonraker, yeah. where they take you through there. And so they, they used to do this ugly man contest where they would put you through this and see how many G's you could pull. And literally, they just knock you out. So that was the whole. It was to go see what your limitations were. They put you in different, they put you in a G suit, which a G suit would compress your legs. And, and so those of you that haven't pulled G's really what ends up happening. And they talked about in the movie, but you end up getting the blood leaves your brain. And so you become, I'm a, I'm a 200 pound dude at 10 G's. I'm a 2000 pound dude. So i become job of the hut. And so, um, but all the blood leaves your brain. And so when you black out, it's basically, you have no more blood in your eyeballs is really what it comes down to. So they t- they teach you techniques, and they uh, the G suits pinch your the bottom of your legs, and they move the blood back up is what it tries to do. And then they teach you maneuvers where you're clenching your stomach muscles, so a lot of ab work. So those those guys, all of us had incredible eight packs when we were when we were flying because we were working on our G's. And I I say that facetiously, I didn't. We drank a lot of beer, <laughs> right? And um, but they would t- teach you this hook maneuver that you'd be like, you know, you'd basically say hook. And um, it basically, you clinch up your inner core, you know, try and push the blood back up. So my limitation was at about eight G's. So I'm watching Calvin Corner at 10, and I've seen people pass out at that. So the ideal fighter pilot was literally Chuck Yeager's build that was five 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 six. Ate a lot of red meat, so kind of chunky, muscular guy that could um, basically... Also drank a lot of whiskey, and so it was basically had had blood vessels that were had a bunch of fat that it wouldn't drain down. So, so in World War II, that was the big joke that it's the ideal fighter pilot was five 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 six, you know, could basically squat five thousand five hundred pounds and um, and like to eat cheese and drink whiskey. And so, when they're pulling those G's, those guys that are all cut and ripped like that. They're passing out at seven, eight Gs. So okay. this is not realistic. Okay, all right, that's interesting. Okay,
1: once they initially go up the face of the mountain, and then yep. they go inverted, and they do
0: that's a negative
1: G dive, or
0: is that- so. So the negative G, what what happens in a negative G is you end up having the blood go the different direction. So it's called a red out. So the blackout, the the blood leaves your brain. Red out means you have too much, and so literally you see red, wow. and it's all the blood. In your brain, and so literally, you can only handle about two and a half, three negative G's, okay. the human body, and so um, the negative G's. It's um, just think about going upside down. So upside down, you're negative one G, and okay. so so that's just upside down, straight up. Now you put the force of an aircraft on it, and you can do some funky stuff there that you really do some weightlessness and everything else that can really fry your brain. What's the line in the original Top Gun? He says, "We are in a negative."
1: four G dive with a MiG twenty eight or yeah, something. Yeah. Yep. So that's awesome. Once they blow up the Death Star, as I said in the
0: uh in the book. Which was, was like seeing that explosion, that was that was just fantastic. Yeah. Being a former attack guy. Nothing the, better. Okay, so so the the laser pod stops working. Uh, so we're not going to, we're not going to dog on Bob right now, are we? Right. No, we're, we're uh, Bob, going, we're going right there. Uh, no, no, no. I, no. Listen, <laughs> listen. Bob's one of my favorite characters in the movie.
1: No, no. He, no, no. It, it starts malfunctioning. It's not his fault. He said it's, it's.
0: I, yeah. I, I, I know, but and, and I just tell you, like it doesn't malfunction like it did in that movie. Right. That like was I, I was yeah. sitting there watching it as a, as a former, um, non-pilot going dude you can't like keep having this happen you know that's, so it was infuriating watching facts versus fiction yeah. that's what i want to make sure because
1: i'm thinking to myself there's that's one of the most crucial elements of the damn mission oh yeah and, absolutely. And you're not i mean i'm thinking who's in charge of this this radar pod like how do how would this how does that happen how does absolutely. that happen okay so then then the question to flip that back to so now
0: rooster has to what do they call it dead eye or uh, it, it, so manually put it in there manually
1: put, okay how hard of a shot was that he that he did? Is that
0: so? So that was literally thinking about driving down a road, going about seventy miles per hour. Um, those of you that in the old days used to have one for the road, where you throw a bottle and try and hit a trash can as you're going sixty-five, and you hit the trash can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. No. So so when you're thinking about the angles and the speed, and so when with precision guided munitions we would have a laser on a target and you would put it within eight feet. So think about eight feet. That's the distance between you and me right now. So from 30,000 feet from 15 miles away, eight feet. And so when you're, when you're coming in and you're trying to put a pipper on something, it's you're going 600 miles per hour, which is 10 miles a minute, you know, which uh, is super fast. And you just start thinking about, so how much time is Eight feet. Eight feet's like point zero zero I'm I'm I am not gonna try and do the math right. right now, but it's it's milliseconds and the human element, you can't do that. Okay. And so actually getting that hit was not possible. It was the one in a it was a one in a billion. <laughs> it, it was it was uh so you're saying we got a chance. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the dumb and dumber yeah, line hit. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so then then this is the
1: next question for you. So coffins corner. They mm-hmm. they we've talked about the, oh. the the bending of the airplane the the, the, the these guys and, and
0: so if I could take you back like yeah. the first movie that did that was behind enemy lines so I yes. was over Bosnia oh my God, and yes. so so with those missiles coming in that's what I was facing and literally I got the cold sweats watching that movie like just seeing it like the way they were fighting it. so it was very similar the coffin corner to behind enemy lines great movie Owen Wilson was Bob. And, um, you know, his pilot pilot ends up getting taken out. But it was uh, the same kind of stuff that you just absolutely – that's the nightmares you have that you run out of chaff and flares. You can't fight those missiles off, and they're going to catch you. Well, that's –
1: okay. And I'm glad you brought up Behind Enemy Lines because – That wasn't even on my list, man. So that's coming right out of the backside. Yeah. No, but that is – I remember seeing that in the theater and being – white knuckled that entire sequence. In Another fact, Gene Hackman where yep. he
0: was a, a Jack
1: Wagon in that role. Absolutely. As well.
0: <laughs> Didn't want to save his people either.
1: Oh, no, I know. Although I will ask you though, there's that great scene. Sorry, listeners, I tend to go all over the place. There's a great scene where they'd
0: use the cat and the football. Is oh that, yeah. Is
1: that a real is that a real thing? Anybody no, ever tried it's, something it's, like it's that? It's
0: not a real thing, but it was like when I was watching it was like no effing and Wave. Like nobody would do that, but I, I enjoyed watching it. Sure. I really did. Sure. That was good. In fact, I will say that's great. It's a great movie. I really enjoy it, but it's
1: nothing in that film tops that sequence.
0: No, but I'm um, that surface to air scene sequence. Yeah. yeah. So I'm telling you that was that was the best. I would say air aviation sequence of anything I saw between that I ever saw that that made me just from somebody that had having done that that I've walked out with the cold sweat. Like watching the movie scared the shit out of me. Like watching it. Um, and till the coffin corner.
1: Okay. And, and I would urge, (laughs) I would urge listeners out there. If you have not seen behind enemy lines with Owen Wilson, it's, it's good. It's a, it's a good movie. I, I I really enjoyed that. In fact, I think I watched that a couple months ago, just, just on a whim. I was just looking for something to watch. That brings me to my next question I have written down here. And that is when we get to coffin's corner, the anxiety I was feeling in the theater watching that again, civilian, never, never experienced anything like, like what you've experienced. My question was the chaff, the flares. They can take out the the missiles, the surface air missiles. They, is that because that? That's what it, what it looked like was happening. Is it, it looked like they were deploying the chaff and the, the missiles so, was so? Were so let me
0: explain, please, for for our listening audience, the the difference between chaff and flares. Please, so chaff is the equivalent of throwing aluminum pieces out. Okay, so it gives you if it's a radar type missile coming at you. It ends up thinking that that's another plane there. Okay. And so, so basically, what happens if if it's a radar type surface-to-air missile, the they'll see the chaff and they'll get confused, or the missile will get confused and it will go after. It, it'll just paint a picture of a bunch of radar of aluminum that'll think it's just a cross section of a plane. And it'll go after that. The flares are anti. They're they're going after a heat-seeking type piece, so they see the the high heat coming off of the flare. And so there's two different missiles. So going chaff flares with the same missile never makes sense. Okay. So it depends on what the missile is coming out at and you. And in Coffin's Corner, they were surface-to-air heat-seeking missiles? They were we heat-seeking, think? so it should have been flares okay. that they were pop- popping out. So okay. they're talking chaff, but it, it should have been. Okay. So, but I see these missiles explode. Oh, yeah. So they'll they'll hit that heat source, and then they'll just explode? And they think they're taking out an engine, or they think they're taking out. Okay. A cross section. So sometimes there's the, the two of them depending on the, the complexity of the surface air missile. It's just an incredible scene. That, yep. <laughs> it's I'm, amazing. I'm just, I'm just incredible. Incredible.
1: Now I wrote, I wrote something down. I wrote something down here because in the very first <clears throat> teaser trailer, for, or maybe it's the second one, it's one of the trailers. You see a shot of an F-14 Tomcat. Okay. So I have something I call trailer react. Reality syndrome, something I've something I've come with. This is where trailer recall syndrome. Okay, that's sure. something I've, I've I've come up with myself. Where I see a trailer, it's buried in my images from that trailer are buried in my mind, and I'm wondering when am I going to see what I saw in the trailers. Why I should just stop watching trailers? So there's an opening shot of an F-14 Tomcat in one of the Maverick trailers. I'm going. When are we going to see this F-14? I had this theory that the movie was going to open up with Tom Cruise stealing an f-14 from iran Iran. yeah yeah (laughs) and i'm wondering if we could just talk just a little bit about for as realistic as this movie is and we give it a plus for its realism and correct me if i'm wrong there are not working f-14 tomcats in the navy right now right they've all they've all been retired a long time ago yep so The only air force that still attempts to fly them is the Iranian air force. Yep, we've, or at least that I know of. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I was also told that the existing F-14s, when they were retired, they were stripped of everything. Yep. Just to prevent, you know, any espionage, somebody trying to steal the parts and selling them on the black market. So that was not a real F-14 Tomcat in the movie. Damn! If I didn't. I mean if you didn't know that I mean
0: that was probably some of the most believable CGI I've ever seen in a film so so interesting piece for me too that hasn't come up is I've actually had a flight in an f14 okay yeah. and so the uh, and I had the coolest f-14 flight ever um, so there's a we were we were in the Red Sea and we were going around to the to the uh, to the Gulf and we ended up doing swaps so basically we had... The A-6 guys got to fly with the F-14 guys. The F-14 guys got to fly in the A-6. And so we go to do this flight. And the um, and the the guy that was our deputy commander air group said, hey, let's just do a mission here. And so what the mission was, was, and where I'm going with this, there's this, we're talking about Star Wars. So there's a Star Wars Canyon in Yemen that's famous throughout the Navy. And so in this, there's like 4,000-foot cliffs on either side. And you're going down it. And it's very similar to Maverick. It's it's the best low level that exists in the Navy. And so the Navy guys listening like, Star Wars Canyon. Yeah. And so you'd be down it. And then at the end, there was this rock that if you went right, it was fine. No problem. But if you went left, you had to pull six Gs to get around the rock or you were going to the side. And how do people know it's six Gs? Because a couple of knuckleheads at some point ended up not pulling six Gs and like no. planted in, in there. And so... Anyway, I get to go do this F-14 flight, and so he's like, so I want the F-14s to actually be, you know, basically the what we call red air. And so red air, we were attacking, and they were doing a strike coming in down through the canyon. And so I actually learned how to use the radar and all this other stuff. And so my roommate, Cheese, was actually the lead of the strike, and I had the radar and I actually, I pinged him and I was pinging him with the radar and I was playing a song like with the, with the radar, <laughs> like saying, like, I know it's you dude. And then, you know, it's me. And then we jumped in behind everybody and did this low level. And then the guy flew me up and we did the, uh, I actually did mock one with them. And so I can actually say I've at least gone supersonic and then came back to land on the carrier. So, so I actually sat in the back. I saw everything that like was in the movie. And so, in in the the end of it, like it's all broken up. and so I promise you like there was some F14 somewhere that's in a static display somewhere that right. they use that uh, that piece of it. and um, but boy, it sure looked realistic. It did. it did.
1: So that brings me to some of the final questions I have in reference to this movie. And we hear the term multiple times throughout the film, fifth generation fighter, <laughs> okay? multiple times heard of it i will in the simplest layman's terms possible can you just it describe to me the generation so i understand First,
0: second, third, fourth, and obviously I know what fifth is. i uh, Honestly, I can't. Okay, you know, so I would tell you like it, it, they could have said seventh generational, okay. and I and I have no idea what any of that means. So there's different levels. I couldn't tell you what the F thirty five is compared to what this is. Okay, and the fifth generational was to confuse the shit out of you and go. It's got to be something cool. Okay, right? okay. <laughs> so they just going to get whatever name they want. they gonna. Okay. They, they gave it.
1: It worked. Then it, it worked. I mean, okay. Yeah. So I understand because so. So looking at the, I think that's a Su fifty four. It's supposed to be, or I, or I might be having the, the number incorrect here. But uh, it's something that the Russians have been showing off lately. Yep. The, the 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 maneuverability of that plane. Is that real? The way that thing I, I maneuvered, have, as far as you know, like do you have anything that you, you know
0: as well as I okay. do? Right. So I mean, I, I think the whole thing it's it's. I, I don't have any information you don't have, so I can't okay. tell you. Like, my buddies are saying, hey, this thing, this thing is badass. Like, check this out. So It, it does I, have I a great line, though. Rooster does have a great line when he says, what the fuck was that? Like, exactly. That's, yeah,
1: that's... I mean, that was... Uh, I've, I've watched some YouTube videos where I've seen the F-22 do some pretty yep. amazing maneuvers. You yep. know, so I think it's, it's it's fair to say that the plane's... It, it's
0: all those. So, so just going back to basic dogfighting, it is all about getting behind the other guy. Right. And so any... There's there's got to be different things going on right now. Skunk works, whatever you want to call it. That it's just what kind of funky stuff's going on right now that you can, you know, literally uh, go from five hundred miles per hour to zero, and somebody goes by and you just shoot them, just like the old. The, I'll hit the brakes and let them fly on. Yeah, right which
1: by. which by the way, I I appreciate the fact that he never actually says what he's doing in Maverick, that he yep. just does that maneuver and says, you know what? You saw the original, you know what he's doing. He doesn't have to still works it 36 years. later. still works 36. Years. When Maverick has to take on the two fifth generation fighters, anything he's doing that you're going, ah, you can't do that in a Tomcat. Or do you feel like everything you saw there was pretty accurate as far as if you're, if you've got the guts or the balls to, to do it, you could pull that
0: off. I, there was there was nothing there from what I know from my experience that made me say yeah there's no way I mean it, it was it was it was it was a lot of stuff that he's hitting the head just so you guys know like when you hit the head in the ear that means I can't hear anything because we have with the helmets your your radio is connected in through the the speakers in your ears so when you hit the ear it's like I don't know and that's universal that it's like you know was, he, so I'm showing I'm hitting the ear and giving a thumbs down. Man, I can't hear you. I don't know what's happening. And those guys are like, "Yeah, okay." And then he just went right into it. And it was, that <laughs> just up right
1: that's, that's awesome. Um, so Maverick takes the two planes out. Yep, it's a cool. It's amazing. I mean, amazing. I yep. yep. see. Uh, however, he doesn't have a uh, front wheel that's yep. knocked off. So they have this. That's a. Tell, just talk a little bit about the aircraft carrier. They put up this big giant net. What are they yeah. called? A
0: gate. I, mean, uh, I, I, I oh man, I'm, I'm whatever. The bar- it's, it's, it's the barricade. The barricade. Sorry, I was I was struggling there. So the barricade is a. It's a scary, scary thing. So if you ever have to hit the barricade, and the reason why is in past history people hit the barricade, and it's it's basically steel cables with some steel stuff in between, and a lot of dudes have been decapitated oh. landing in there. So so whenever you hit the barricade, it's like there's a good chance of death. And so um, you never want to... Uh, I would rather eject than have to hit the barricade. That,
1: okay, so that was... And, yep. and, and the only and reason they, they didn't
0: eject... Yeah, because they couldn't
1: eject. Yep. So so the barricade is one of those... It's the no no man's land. You do it, not want
0: to hit the barricade. It's literally for a
1: plane that you can't eject from.
0: That's right. like it's the last... Yep. So it's still cables catching you and still cables catching an airplane is going to shred a bunch of stuff. And hopefully it's not you. Wow. Okay, see, that's... that's <laughs>
1: That's incredible. Would you like to see another Top Gun movie or do you think they should just
0: leave this alone? So, here, here is like my take on all this. So, I would love to see more stuff on this. So, I would tell you with my squadron when we were out, we, we were talking, you know, friends, Seinfeld were the big shows then. Oh, yeah. I was like, we could have a show like just on the stupid shit we would do every day and millions of people would sit around and watch this. I mean, it was just funny. And some of the stuff that like I didn't mention before. On why Top Gun made it cool for us was literally when I went through flight school, we would sit around and we're drinking beer and it was like, you know, we got the number three job in America right now. And so let me ask you, do you do you know at the time 1990 what you would say the top two in front of being naval aviator after Top Gun had just come out would be?
1: Oh, no, I wouldn't even know where to begin on that one. Rockstar. Rockstar. Okay, I was going to say. I was and the, I was and the,
0: professional athlete. And profe-
1: okay, makes perfect sense. Makes yep. perfect sense yep.
0: for a dude, right? Yep. So rockstar, professional athlete, yep. naval aviator. Yep. So, like, when we were there doing that, man, it was it was a great place to be, great time to be doing it.
1: I mean, it had to. I mean, it, geez, <laughs> it was fun.
0: I mean, and it's still that way
1: to this day. I mean. And, it, it, and
0: so what we haven't mentioned in the whole Maverick was the whole uh, Penny Benjamin thing, yep. too. So yep. I got to tell you, like. So for me, that was like the wraparound on on the whole 36-year thing and the way they tied stuff off, unbelievable. Yeah.
1: No, and because and she's referenced in the original. Referenced yeah. in the
0: original, yeah. and they brought her back in, and um, I thought she was just a perfect, perfect uh, person to play that role. And the
1: fact of the matter is, you know, Tom Cruise is the biggest movie star in the world. Yep. You know, you could have very easily brought on a, you know, 25, four-year-old up-and-coming actress and then that's you know, why i loved you know, it and but instead you bring on jennifer conley who's 51 years old yeah absolutely gorgeous
0: absolutely just stunning and yep. an amazing she's an amazing actress and she's just made him out yeah. on a sailboat yep <laughs> now, now you're in the navy now you're in the <laughs> i mean <laughs> fantastic
1: you know i'm sure you know miles teller is a local somewhat local no no he uh citrus county oh. that's where he went to uh high school he was a very famous in his drama classes okay. over there, but there's a scene in the beginning of Maverick when, when we're in Maverick's hangar where he lives, and there's pictures of Goose and Rooster, and there's a picture of Miles Teller wearing a baseball cap with an L, and that's for Lakanto High School that's where he awesome. played baseball for, and he was a pretty damn good baseball sure. player too. So he's a he's a local guy for that's us. Awesome. He's, he's about forty miles away. Nice. so... So we've got uh, we've got Travolta here, and we've got uh, and we got Miles Teller down the road. That's awesome. So, to circle back to what I said about Hollywood, it's just making all kinds of just prequels and yep. sequels and all that stuff. But,
0: I, but but to go back, so to ask me would I love to see more stuff yeah. happen with this? Absolutely. So here here's kind of an old dude that kind of came up in the Reagan build-up era. It's, uh, you know, you just met my 15 year old son. He's actually contemplating going into the air force and doing some other things. And, and so I think where we've been, we, we had the two thousands and Afghanistan and Iraq and all this other stuff. And I think everybody's kind of like tired of all this stuff. And so I think the, the Maverick hit at a good time that like we need people to be thinking about doing this stuff and we need America's best to be going out and doing this stuff. I'm old. I can't do it anymore. Um, and I want to make sure that, um, there's people that want to go out there and do this yeah. and understand like how cool it is and how great our country is. There's a lot of stuff going on right now that people don't really understand the sacrifices that have happened. And, um, and I don't want to end up, uh, you know, this country going into a different place that, yeah. um, you know, that, that we don't take pride in our military. We don't take pride in in the folks that do stuff. You go back to, you know, World War One, World War Two. it was like, it was all the guys from the... From, from, the, uh, from the mainland of the country going out there and, and believing what America was about. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, I, and I hope that this does what Maverick did or what Top Gun did and actually gets people interested back in doing this stuff because it was a great, fun gig to do as a, as a young guy. But to go back, like, what you're asking, do I want to see more? I would love to see a whole. So what, what folks don't know is, like, the sacrifice people make when they go out there. So for me personally, I was operational for three years, but I was gone for 18 months. You know, my best friend, Jim Stoneman, Stoney, uh, he ended up. So, and I do got to say before, before we finish the podcast, they made fun of Maverick for being a Navy captain. So if you're a Navy captain, you've done a lot of things right. And so I, I got a lot of buddies that didn't get the Navy Captain, and the way they were busting on just being a Navy Captain in the movie was a little dis- disrespectful to a lot of guys that did a lot of good stuff for the Navy. So my buddy Stony was a coin flip away from being an admiral, and or not. And uh, and so his only his only like bitch about the movie was like, "Hey, Navy Captain is not so bad." And so yeah. um, you know, so so for me though, I'd love to see more of this stuff. You know, I'd love I'd love folks to see the sacrifice people make. Um, Go out to YouTube and see a aircraft carrier that's we did six month deployments back when. But go see an eight month deployment coming back and see the joy of families reuniting. See the joy of people seeing their kids that they haven't ever seen that are now five months old for the first time as they get off the carrier, or get off whatever. So there's a lot of sacrifice still going on out there right now. And I can just tell you, if if you have like just one little speck of American pride, you go out and watch that stuff, and it's like there's a lot of people out there that are doing a lot of good stuff. And I'd like to get more stuff out there. Just besides Maverick, you, people need to see more stuff that's yeah. going on out there, the sacrifices that are happening, and the good that you get out of it. I'm a great example. So we've talked about my history, we've talked about what I did, but I got a lot more out of going to do what I did than what I put in. And so I, I, I really feel like, you know, I, I had the Navy really, like I said before, you go to the Naval Academy and they break you down, then they build you up. And and it's the Navy's in my fiber. And like it, it really is what built me up to who I am right now. So um, there's there's a lot of good stuff and in, in going out to do that stuff. And um, I'd love to see more. You know, if, if folks saw like everyday life in the carrier, a, lot, a little bit's mundane, it would have to be Hollywoodized up to, to keep you entertained. But there's a lot of stuff to keep you entertained. That's awesome. Well, Tad, first of all,
1: thank you for your service. Thank you for the Appreciate service to this country. I mean, thank you. I mean, and, and it was an honor. Yeah, no. And it's been incredible just to have an opportunity to talk to you. I uh, I, I knew when I, I wanted you on the show, of course, I was like, I want to talk about Maverick. I want to talk. About... That's secondary. Just listening to you talk about your your career in the Navy and and, and the things that you did and the things that you accomplished and the, and, and the, the, the life lessons you took away from that yep. has been it's been it's been great. So thank you so much for doing this. And uh, no problem. You know, I'd like to, uh, <clears throat> of course, extend the invitation anytime you'd like to come on the show and just chat movies or just whatever. The invitation's there. You know how to reach me. We're both in the same town. Absolutely. So, so Look forward to that. It's been a pleasure. So thank you so much for doing the show. It was a joy being here. Thank you. Outstanding. And my name is Dana Buckler, and thank you so much for listening.